to Thursday night and it's been a long, long time. From the depths of a dog day summer afternoon, from the depths of these long, humid, hot summertime days, it's Larry Luciano Crane, your host with the Logic and Larry podcast. Everything I say in this podcast is strictly my opinion as a private citizen. It does not reflect the opinion of any other person, any other entity. It is not legal advice. It's for entertainment purposes. In the rainy, gray northeast, it's been hot, sunny, and humidly oppressive. And then it's been pouring rain and thunderstorms. And right now I can see just a vague, ambiguous, foggy silhouette of Manhattan. Midtown Manhattan through the clouds and the mist as raindrops splash against the window pane overlooking downtown Newark, New Jersey. Slow trains pull out of Penn Station as I watch. The humid haze sets upon downtown Newark and the four corners of Broad and Market. To everybody across the country in Arizona, Boston, Oregon, Florida, the Carolinas, D.C., New York, New Jersey, all the New Jersey, New York expats living abroad in other countries and other states, we welcome you. I apologize I've been off the air for several weeks and I will tell you guys that the summer has proven to be very busy, somewhat stressful and just uh, an interesting situation for me. So I wanted to get back on the microphone. I wanted to talk to everybody and just touch base. And actually, I got to give the credit to my esteemed colleague, Anthony Colancini. Mr. Colancini pointed out that I really should get on the mic and at least let everybody know that I'm still here. That Logic and Larry is still going. Logic and Larry is not going to stop, but that I am on a hiatus of sorts. It was only supposed to be a few week break, but the truth is, I got a lot going on. Well, I've been fighting a, a sickness for a while here. I'm on these heavy antibiotics and I'm getting off it, which is nice, finally coming through it. It's been on and off since really May. Uh, allergies, I think, had a lot to do with it, but I'm coming off of that now, so I'm feeling a little better. Obviously, the world is open back up. The masks are off. We are thriving a bit, although some businesses in Newark are slow to come back, and I hope they do after Labor Day. Most people are going back to work more after Labor Day, maybe not full-time, but at least on hybrid schedules. So we can get back to our urban commerce and our interaction, hopefully, when the air gets a little more crisp and football season is in the air. I hope so, anyway. I don't understand these people who, who are so invested and so anxious to just stay home all the time and just work consistently remotely. To me, it blurs you know, the line between work and home. It takes away the buffer and a commute. It takes away commerce at lunch and going to lunch with colleagues and catching up with old friends and nightlife at happy hours. It takes away from urban centers and draws us even ever more into this suburban dystopia, this internet dystopia where we live far off away from each other in secluded little areas and we rely on technology with our heads and our phones. Hopefully it ends very soon for the good of humanity hate to sound so melodramatic but it's true i have uh, been working on a lot of things and that's why i'm going to take this hiatus actually uh i did just get a short story published called her name that's in the newarker uh, which is an up-and-coming periodical a quarterly journal uh in newark new jersey uh, focusing on the arts and other other things in the region it was a blessing, and I'm humbled to have been published. If you haven't checked out that short story, check it out. Go on my Facebook or look up the Newark magazine, newarkmag.com, uh, and give it a read. I am still working on this album. This album is going to have over 40 songs on it and all kinds of collaborations with various artists. So if, you, if I've told you you're going to be on the album and I haven't reached out to you yet, trust me, it's coming. I have a bunch of songs written that need to be recorded. I have a bunch of songs done already that need to be mixed. Um, and I love this song by uh, Ronnie McNair, by the way. I got this playlist today. is very slow-paced to fit the hazy summer mood that I'm in. And hopefully you enjoy it. As always, I'm going to put the playlist up so you can check out any song you particularly like, download it, and use it for your own vibe this summer. But I'm working on finishing that album. 
and it's it's a real big undertaking. In, in the interim, I have things going on professionally that hopefully you'll hear about soon enough, uh, and that is taking up a lot of my effort and time as well. And in general, I've just been you know fighting some of my personal stresses and also having fun. You know, <laughs> I've been having fun. I saw friends and family for Fourth of July. We had a little mishap with the backyard we normally use, and the backyard's not done, and it's not going to be done for a couple weeks, so I'm kind of in the city, in the humidity, in the grit, but I'm enjoying it and making the best of it nonetheless, outside sipping some cold drinks where I can and when I can. But for that reason, uh, I really think the summer's going to be more of a hiatus for me and for the show. Uh, I'm going to come back post Labor Day for certain and I'll, I'll let everybody know well ahead of time that the day that we're going to do it the time of night I'm going to pick a consistent day like I've been doing it'll be back to weekly uh, or bi-weekly we'll figure it out and uh, I'll be back in action if there's any obviously if there's any big news story that pops up I'll have a show sometime in the summer and if there's any other you know urge to just address various news stories I'll come back sometime in the summer but for now this will just kind of be our midsummer's uh, touch base show, and uh, then I'll leave you again for another hiatus, and I'll be back for sure when things pick up again in the world for Labor Day. But there's a whole hell of a lot of things that happen in the news, so I do want to talk about all of those things, and it's a refreshing that we've continued to surpass our goals with the vaccination rates in the country. The state of New Jersey is doing quite well, and the country is doing better and better. The states that have not done well with the vaccinations have been subject to this Delta variant. The Delta variant is a new strain of coronavirus, which is you know, wreaking havoc on some countries across the world. They are saying that uh, in southern states where the vaccination rates are lower, the Delta variant is infecting many more people, as is to be expected. Many more people are being hospitalized and it is more deadly to many more people. If you haven't gotten the vaccine, please consider doing so. I know some people had reservations, but as time goes on, guys, you've seen so many of your friends and family get the vaccine. You've seen everybody be okay. You've seen the world be able to reopen. Well, not the world. America's fortunate enough. And all of these attacks on big pharma all the time. Well, the reason we have the vaccine before the rest of the world is because of the horror, <laughs> big pharma, which has done a great job at developing this vaccine. And yes, they developed the vaccine because they're expecting a return on investment. That's why capitalism and innovation drives uh, advances in humanity. And that's why uh, pharma in this country has done a great job of developing the vaccine. But you see how beneficial the vaccine has been to our economy, our society, etc. So please consider getting it. The problem is, and I said this back when people were initially hesitant to get the vaccine, that if we don't get the vaccine, then what happens is it stays circulating in enough people because we didn't have a critical mass of vaccinated people to kill it. And it continues to evolve, and as it evolves, different variants of it get more and more strong, and those variants can be more deadly, more contagious. At a certain point, they may even start to penetrate the vaccine. But studies show that the vaccines currently out are good protection, even against the Delta variant, both from catching it, and even if they are less effective in terms of contagiousness, they are very highly effective in preventing serious illness. So I would urge you again to get the vaccine. But I'll be honest with you. I have been loving going out all day and all night without the mask. It's funny, though, because I keep it in my pocket still just in case, but sometimes I forget it, and I'm like, I don't need it. I don't need it, so it's fine. I go into the store without it. I go in the elevator without it. Can't go to work without it yet. But it's funny because something I said, some people look at me like kind of a nod, like, yo, I'm so glad we don't have to wear this thing. And sometimes we'll both pull the mask off when we see each other, or we'll just have the mask off and smirk like we're good. But it's the opposite feeling when people get on an elevator or pass me and their mask is up and they're covering everything and they're looking at me like you feel that little sense of, you know, ooh, like you don't you don't have a mask. You know, I consider them like and to my response to them is, hey, get the vaccine, get the vaccine. OK, and then you won't have to worry about it because the mandate says we don't need the masks. We're vaccinated. We're good. 
So anyway, I encourage everybody to get the vaccine. It's nice to see the world opening. What I'm excited about this summer, which is later this year, which is also going to take up a ton of my time, is the Olympics. We have a new look NBA USA basketball. I wouldn't say NBA, but U.S. basketball team. We got Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant did opt in. Uh, Draymond Green opted in. But a lot of the other guys are smaller level stars. And so it'll be interesting to see if we could maintain our streak and get the gold. I'm hoping we do. I think Durant will put it on his shoulders. Every year somebody kind of puts it on their shoulders, right? LeBron put it on his shoulders for a a lot of years. Uh, We saw Carmelo Anthony put on his shoulders last time. uh, And he made that little speech, which I thought was very well placed when they won the gold last time. And this year I think it's it's Durant's time to uh, take over. It's his turn. And I'm looking forward to seeing Durant carry uh, Team USA and Team USA do some damage. I'm obviously excited about the swimming. It's always, 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 always a privilege to see U.S. swimming men and women uh, take to the pool and, and bring home a multitude of medals. You got volleyball, uh, beach and indoor, always a, a fun thing to watch. You've got uh, track and field. You've got Simone Biles uh, and the, the U.S. gymnastics team, especially on the women's side. Simone Biles is an absolute star. She's just groundbreaking athlete and just incredible to watch. Cannot wait to watch her dominate again. Um... Cannot wait to see even the golf events. Uh, Last year, we took home, I believe, a silver medal in men's singles and golf. Uh, It's just, I really love the Summer Olympics because we tend to dominate. The United States tends to dominate the Summer Olympics a lot more. We normally walk away with the most medals. I'm hoping we walk away with the most medals once again this year. I'm very excited about it. It's, it's, you know, it's an all-several-week event where just every day there's events scheduled. You could sit and watch something And in the summertime, there's just so many events, and the U.S. is so good in so many of them, women's soccer. Um, It's just, it's fun to watch, man. It's a pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to watch. One day, one of my dreams, one of my bucket list dreams is to get tickets to the Summer Olympics. And, you know, wherever it is, whether it's abroad or it's in the United States, just to get tickets for that straight two weeks and just stay in the area, go to lunch, get drinks, and just go to different events and go check out all the events and just rep the United States. I just think it would be just a dope, awesome, awesome experience. And that is definitely on my bucket bucket list. But I got to go when I have enough money, you know, to be able to stay for two weeks and spend and chill and not worry about it. So it's just really exciting. Now, the the most devastating, most devastating part of the Olympics was Shikari Richardson. Shikari Richardson's THC test. It was, it's just, you know, it, it kills me because I absolutely love the Olympics and I love her because she was... A star in the making, bro. I mean, she's already a star, but I mean, once you hit that world stage, and it's really that global stage, and you're, you know, you, you have the hair, and her style's so dope, and she's got the long nails, and she just is unapologetically her, and she's just burning everybody on the track. I just loved her whole thing, man. I loved her whole presentation. I loved her whole swag. I loved her whole everything about her. And she was going to be just a breakthrough star, you know, probably on the I mean, you know, you got Phelps, you got Biles, you know, you got these big time stars and and she could be one of those big time stars just because of her presentation. And, you know, she was also going to contend for gold. Chances were she'd get gold, and that would be a huge thing for the country, too. And just, it'd be beautiful to see at so many levels, especially now with all the tensions we have with racial things and division. And she just was a dope athlete and person. So, unfortunately, she tested positive for THC. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it sucks because she tested positive for THC, number one, it was in Oregon where it's legal to smoke. So she wasn't committing any type of illegal act, right? Number two, since when is THC a performance enhancer, right? Like THC isn't going to enhance your performance. It's not going to make you run faster or cheat in any way. If anything, it'll slow you down. So, you know, do they test for alcohol? Because it's the same type of thing. It's not healthy for you. It's legal. 
tobacco. I mean, it's just it's just a terrible, out of date rule. Terrible. Now, you know, what's interesting is to her credit, the young woman has already come out and said, look, I'm human. I had to find out from a reporter that my biological mother died. I had a momentary lapse in judgment. I smoked a little weed. And she she didn't lash out and say, look, she said explicitly, that's not an excuse. That's just me explaining to you why I'm human and why I had that lapse in judgment. So she's not making excuses. She's not saying it's somebody else's fault. She's not blaming anybody else. She said she accepts full responsibility. And most importantly, she apologized for letting the community down. And I think when she says community, she's speaking on multiple levels. And I understand what she means. So she's taken full responsibility. She's just an awesome, awesome person. Just a great person. And that's a role model. Be yourself. Be the best at what you do. And take responsibility when you mess up. It's just a shame that she wasn't on the relay team, but they wanted to be fair to the other athletes. I don't know how I feel about that, but I'm not in that world. So I don't know. But it's it's just so heartbreaking because she was such a linchpin of this, this, um, you know, the U.S. team. So many people were so excited. She was such a, so much flair to it. It's just sad. But she'll be a world champ next year, most likely. And I, I, you know, I don't know how long sprinters can go, but I'm, I'm hoping she's a young woman. I'm hoping that in four years, when my old ass is 40 in the next Olympic Games, which I think would be the next Summer Olympics, I think it would be 2025. I am hoping she runs in those, and that will be one of the best redemption stories. We love that, and hopefully she takes gold then. I'm hoping she takes gold then. But it's just disappointing. It's an outdated, outdated rule, but at the end of the day, it is the rule, right? I mean, she knows that it was illegal to do it, and that if she popped for it in a test, she would put her chance at the Olympics at risk. It's a shame... That we have those lapses in judgment as humans. Um, And she's taken full responsibility. And I know we all want to say, well, who cares? Just let her run. And if they did, I would be all for it. I mean, I wish they would let her run. But she understands it. And, and, you know, I'm not saying rules are rules. But, you know, she knew the rules. And and, and it was a, that's the rules. And everybody's beholden to them. And so she's got to be disqualified now because of the rules that she didn't know about. So it's, it's upsetting. But it is what it is at this point, and it's a shame, but I'm still really, 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 really excited for the Olympics. I really am. Um, and, and with that, uh, my buddy Will out in Oregon, he did want me to kind of briefly touch on that whole marijuana issue. I mean, it's interesting, right? Marijuana is rapidly becoming legal across the United States. It's legal in New Jersey now. It's legal in so many other states uh, recreationally, and it's becoming kind of just a normal thing like alcohol is in this country. And it's going to be interesting how, you know, the marijuana lobby, speaking of big pharma, you know, challenges big pharma um, as as it emerges more and more with more and more uses. But I'll say this, right? I, I don't think marijuana is some kind of miracle drug where it's going to uh, completely destroy big pharma or something, right? There's so many uses that it has and then there's so many things that it's not going to be useful for that other medications and, and other remedies are still going to be the primary choice for uh, so we'll see how much of a dent that makes and how much it really rocks the, the world of big pharma and all those things i don't know how much of an impact it'll have in that regard i think overall you know it depends too right because if big pharma gets a piece of it and Big Pharma runs with that piece, and they get in before other people, then they're just going to use it to expand their power, right? Whereas there's a lot of talk when they draft these laws in these states regarding legalized marijuana of economic equality, right? Of, of not only trying to rectify the past abuses of the justice system with regard to marijuana, and trying to rectify that by expunging records and things, but also trying to give um, more advantages or facilitate minority-owned business and and prior disadvantaged, economically disadvantaged people from owning a piece of the marijuana industry as it comes up. And I think it's a great opportunity to really allow for entrepreneurship uh, of previously disadvantaged groups and to really open it up to them. But it remains to be seen, like many things in this society, it remains to be seen if that will actually happen. We will see. I hope that it does. I hope that it does. 
because that truly really is the, the engine. We can talk all we want about policing and all that, and I'll get to that in a few minutes. Uh, well, I can get to it now. It's a natural segue, right? We can talk about policing. We can talk about crime and all those things and, and act like that's the catalyst for success with disadvantaged groups. Uh, but that's really a misnomer, in my opinion. I think the the facilitation for disadvantaged groups to do well is through the very principles that have made us the country we are. And I say this closely. We just passed the 4th of July, and I see a lot of pride, but I see a lot of people saying, you know, don't be so quick to celebrate the 4th of July. And, you know, you had the New York Times, you know, basically insinuating that this country is just built around slavery, et cetera. It was a big pillar of the country, and that's a sad thing. But the country was also built on personal freedoms, freedom of speech, uh, freedom of entrepreneurship, uh, and those types of self-determination, those types of principles. And while we haven't always, and we've been probably the opposite, in willfully going against the foundational principles that we claim to be based on in trying to thwart the ability of certain people from attaining those goals. That's been the problem. So the, the way to rectify that is not always just down with police, let criminals go, okay? The way to rectify inequality is to uh, advance entrepreneurship, advance self-determination, advance uh, land ownership, advance all of those things, advance the ownership of capital, the returns on investment, the investment in general, the, the investment power, the buying power, the business power of disadvantaged groups. That's the way forward. So that can be through marijuana, but that's not just marijuana. It should be through so many things. Those are the initiatives that we should be concentrating on. And those align with American principles as well as with progressive principles. We are straying a bit from that. We're acting as if the only way to attain progressive principles is to completely tear down all the good principles that we've established thus far, rather than making it easier for previously disadvantaged groups to participate in those principles and to build wealth and power from those principles. And there's a big, big, big difference between that and a stark, stark contrast. And it's just interesting how we view history and we look to the future these days, right? There's so much backward looking and, and editing of history and revising of definitions in order to define the entire trajectory of this country as something that can't be celebrated, as something that we should be frowning upon, as something that's irredeemable, right? And that's rarely kind of a new in vogue thing on the left, right? And you see it permeate even with the Olympics. It's valid for the Olympic discussion too, right? Like so many people I know of all races, of all creeds, of all colors, of all ages, of all genders are excited about the Olympics. They always are. They're rooting for United States athletes of all colors and genders and ages. We're excited about it. It's something to come together about. There's no shame in coming together for it. There's no shame in being proud when the flag's waving. There's no shame in being proud. When somebody wins a medal and they are hailing from the United States. And you know what? If somebody wants to turn their back on the flag or turn their back on the anthem, would I personally do it? Do I personally love seeing it? No, I really don't like seeing it. But if they want to do that on the world stage, well, guess what? That shows the Amer United States of America is all about the First Amendment, freedom of speech. You can... Go run and represent the United States of America and turn your back on the flag. And you're still cool and there's nothing wrong with it. And you're not going to be prevented from participating and you're not going to be prevented from competing. And you're not going to have your participation revoked because you've exercised your First Amendment right. That for the world to see is the ultimate freedom that many other countries do not afford their citizens or their athletes. So it's something to be proud of. But this constant revision, this country's been terrible, et cetera, et cetera, trying to strip even the Olympics, anything fun, fireworks, 4th of July, of its fun, is going too far. And now we have this issue with the, you know, the, the anniversary of the Newark riots is coming up. And the Newark riots, most historians agree, most historians agree, had a devastating impact on the city of Newark. Economically, um, as far as development, land, I mean, there, there are parts of Newark that are still, that are still in shambles because of the riots of 1967. 
but there is a certain contingent of people in the city of Newark and beyond who want to reclassify it, right? They don't want to call it the Newark Riots. They want to call it the Newark Rebellion because it has a positive connotation because to certain groups in the city, it represents a transition of power. But the truth is, if you look at the demographics and you look at the changing attitudes of the time, the city was going to eventually elect a black mayor anyway, okay? The city was going to be a power base of African-American uh, economic and social uh, prowess regardless of the riots, right? Riots in and of themselves are unorganized, destructive, illegal forces. I don't agree with them. I don't agree with the way the Boston Tea Party went down. I don't agree with that. Right, But they want to redefine it as a rebellion, put a positive spin on it. But then when you look at the Tulsa riots, right, that's not a riot. Now it's a race massacre. And Newark's not a riot. It's a rebellion, right? They want to always look back and tweak and change the words. And it's interesting, right, because the right, the right was the primary, were the primary people who did this, right? Frank Luntz, Frank Luntz, a very prominent conservative messaging person. He's the one who kind of started telling conservatives and Republicans in the 90s and the 80s to start saying, look, don't say you're anti-choice. Don't say you're anti-abortion. Say you're pro-life. Don't say you're anti-gay or anti-gay rights or anti-gay marriage. Say you're pro-family, right? And it all, all that messaging helped to really bolster conservative movements in the Republican Party. And, and many would agree that since Reaganism, the Republican Party and the way that they pursued neoliberal economic policies in, you know, globally has been detrimental to many people. And it's probably why we find ourselves in the current predicament we're in with rising inequality and with so much strife and with the very reason that these pro-socialist type people, that these leftist revisionists have been able to take hold. It's a bit uh, startling, but it's interesting because now the left is doing the same thing, right? We can change the common name of something. We can put a positive spin on it with a word or a label. We could put an um, even more negative spin on it with a word or a label. And so there are many people who disagree with me, especially locally, and that's fine. But I, I see all riots as not the same because they're precipitated by different things. They have different uh, participants. They have different results, different levels of, of deaths and destruction. But they're all riots, right? They're really not productive. They're really not productive. Protests are very productive. Sit-ins are productive. A lot of things are productive. I'm not saying that agitation is not productive. Agitation is productive. Fighting the status quo is productive. But violence is not. And we're seeing violence now, too, in Washington Square Park in New York, uh, which seems, again, to have started as police and residents simply asking, hey, it's getting a little out of hand, can we calm it down, and turns into this, everybody's going to show up at Washington Park, at Washington Square Park, everybody's going to fight the police, it's just, we just keep going in this cycle. And look, the United States and the world is no stranger to that, and most summers, there are riots. There have been riots every summer in New York City since pretty much the beginning of New York City. I once studied under a very prominent professor at Rutgers Newark, he was a scholar on the history of of New York City uh, to the nitty gritty. I mean, this guy knew a lot. He's he's um, consulted on films just to keep historical accuracy on the city, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact is, the guy is really brilliant and well informed. And he's told us there's been riots of all different groups throughout the history of New York every summer. It's just what happens. But it's interesting because in New York, remember a few weeks ago we touched on we touched on the mayoral race there, and it was interesting because the the former police officer. The individual who was more, you know, law and order, and he's not law and order in terms of being a conservative or, or trying to maintain discriminatory practices. He's law and order in terms of, look, we need to fight crime and there's nothing wrong with fighting crime. And fighting crime is advantageous, especially in working class neighborhoods where crime is higher generally than in upper class neighborhoods. There's nothing wrong with that. That's fighting crime in and of itself and maintaining order is not a detriment to people. Quite the contrary. 
People from disadvantaged backgrounds are far more likely to be victims of crime. People from disadvantaged backgrounds are far more likely to suffer from crime in their neighborhood, property crime, and person-on-person crime. And so when they have a safer and a quieter neighborhood, they are able more to concentrate on school, studying, raising families, opening businesses, succeeding themselves, right? If you don't have peace, you can't have anything else. And if you don't believe me, then ask the people of Palestine, ask the people across the globe who don't have peace. Ask the people in America in troubled areas that are neglected areas if they have peace. And if it's not an inhibitant to have constant strife outside their doors, they'll tell you it is. And so it's interesting that Eric Adams, the former police officer, did in fact win the Democratic primary in New York City. The tallies finally finished the other day. And he is going to be the Democratic nominee, which all but assures him to be the next mayor of New York City. And it's interesting that New Yorkers did that once again, just like the Queen's DA race some time ago. And if liberals aren't paying attention to this, they should. They'll find, you know, instead of listening and and talking about this and acknowledging it, a lot of times they want to find, well, I'll push back. I'll find a way to argue with you, Larry. But the fact is, when AOC endorsed the young lady who was a public defender to be the Queen's DA two years ago, she lost to the more traditional establishment Democratic candidate. And the lines of voting... The more minority working class districts voted for the establishment candidate and the more gentrified white districts voted for the AOC, all out, Democratic Socialists of America, abolish prisons, defund the police candidate. And almost by the district, it was the same with this Eric Adams primary. Almost by the district, it was the same. The working class, heavily minority neighborhoods went for the individual that was more pro-law enforcement. And there's something to be gleaned from that. Just like I st- when I started this segment, I talked about entrepreneurship in this country being the key to equality. Education being the key to equality. Housing being the key to equality. I'm not one of the people that necessarily throws crime in there. Because I think crime is an outgrowth. It's a poisoned leaf of the poisoned roots. I don't think it's the driver in and of itself. I simply don't. And so it's interesting that Eric Adams won the primary. And another thing to keep in mind is it's not all just because of his law and order message. Eric Adams has been around New York for a very long time, and he cultivated relationships in certain uh, groups of people. In certain communities, he had very good relationships, and he was more relatable, and that certainly propelled him to winning the nomination in New York City, which is just interesting. But enough about the crime and my rants about it. You guys know where I stand on it. I don't want to sit on it all day, talk about it. Bah, 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 bah. You know where I stand. But it's a season of uh, riots. It's a season of crime. It's a season of, you know, and it's the time and era of the debate about law and order. So it's worth touching on when I get on here. But in, in sad news, in sad news, the building in Surf City in Miami did you guys see this? I was actually on the train to D.C. when the news came came out. And interestingly, we're talking about a building collapsing while I'm on the Amtrak train to D.C., which is going to feed into our later conversation. But, I mean, did you see this? It's That is terrifying. And that is, that is devastating. You're in an apartment building. You're normal. I'm sitting right now. I'm 19 floors up. I tell you, I'm looking at Manhattan, and I am with this jazz playing. And the world's spinning, and I see the cars passing by, and I'm high up, and it's serene to look out the window. But imagine just, you know, I'm just in my bed. When I'm up here, it's just like being in any other home. For those of you that have ranch-style houses or two-story houses, and you're just in your living room, and you're close to the ground. To me, when I'm in my apartment, it's just like I'm home like you are. I don't think about the building falling down. I mean, living in Newark, New Jersey, and being in and out of Manhattan and the city all the time, I mean, I I practically live in and out of skyscrapers. I live in and out of skyscrapers and elevators and escalators and stairwells and windows overlooking neighborhoods from high in the sky. And so the idea that a building just collapsed... With people inside just living their life, and I mean, I know they're still searching for people, but you know it's going to be over a hundred people who passed away tragically in that. That is terrifying. And you could probably hear the thunder outside, by the way. It's another storm's rolling in. 
But that is just terrifying. That is scary. You know, and it's some reports say that that for a time, engineers had been inspecting that building and they had several issues. But one of the issues was that somebody reported that it had been sinking. The building had been sinking gradually over time because the ground upon which it was built was muddy, was unstable. And so the building was sinking. And, and, you know, it's astounding that more wasn't done when they determined that the building was sinking. It's astounding. You would think that they would do something with the building gradually sinking, that they would evacuate it or or declare it uninhabitable, unhabitable, sorry. You know, but they didn't. They didn't, and and it, and now people are have passed away, and it's terrible, really. Everybody knows that the structural integrity of a building is 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 a science, right? It's almost an exact science. When they design these buildings, they have different load bearing elements to it, and they you know there's engineering that goes into it. it's very sophisticated. So if if a part of the building is sinking, it stands to reason it's going to destabilize the entire structure. And it, it's scary, but it really makes you wonder how many more buildings across this country, especially those built on, you know, reclaimed land. And when I say reclaimed, you know, I'm talking about the reclamation process where, you know, lands that are unstable for construction are converted via various processes in order to build upon them. Uh, you know, it makes you wonder how many other structures across the United States with our infrastructure crumbling the way it is. How many other structures are at risk? And Jersey City today recently came out saying they were going to, you know, revitalize their uh, processes in terms of maintaining and and identifying, you know, structural vulnerabilities and making sure that their, you know, their structures are sound because New Jersey, Jersey City, especially close to the river, a lot of that's on semi uh, reclaimed land, and that's scary. So it's just, it was a terrible, terrible, terrible tragedy. And uh, just absolutely, just a terrible thing to see, really. Terrible thing to see. And hopefully we rectify that. And I'll get more to infrastructure in a few minutes, but I did just want to touch on that. It's another huge story. In Haiti, um, President Moise was assassinated in his home. And again, I mean, I guess this was supposed to be more part of the law and order conversation. But, I mean, this is the type of stuff. Now, Haiti has been in chaos several times before, and it's really unfortunate. This isn't the first time. But even before he was assassinated, from what I understand, he was trying to gain more and more power and essentially continuing to form a more authoritarian government, which was problematic for obvious reasons. And we've warned against authoritarianism and totalitarianism and trying to grab power through violence and corruption, especially with Exhibit A in our former president, Donald Trump, we've continued to talk about that subject, right? So that's problematic. But there's already been accusations that he didn't have a handle on gang violence. He didn't have a handle on inflation. He was trying to get a handle on everything in terms of shutting out the democratic process, yet he didn't have a handle on many of the things people were concerned about day to day. That doesn't mean that it's okay to bang on somebody's door and shoot them and their wife. The president has passed away and his wife is in serious condition from what I understand. Now, the interesting thing is that apparently the individuals who carried out the hit spoke English. And apparently they claimed it was the DEA when they banged on the door, but the DEA and the U.S. Embassy in Haiti is saying no way in hell it was the DEA. They were obviously posing as the DEA. They're some kind of mercenaries. I've already read that at least one of the assailants was a United States citizen, so I don't know what exactly is at play here. We don't know who was exactly behind it, but the country is once again in chaos. And while sometimes upheaval in this country is a good thing to get the ball rolling, I think we can all agree that chaos in the way that they're seeing in Haiti and the way they're seeing in some other countries with regard to, you know, I mean, we mishandled the coronavirus and you saw how bad it got. You saw how bad it got when COVID-19 first hit and we didn't know we couldn't get bread in some places, couldn't get paper towels, couldn't get toilet paper, the lines. It was scary, wasn't it? That was only the tip of the iceberg. 
That was only the tip of the iceberg of what some other countries and nations and other people have to go through across the globe. So it's something to keep in mind when we say we want to advocate for violence or upheaval. But it's also something to keep in mind when we look to people like Donald Trump, who are authoritarian individuals who push lies and try to rule by brute force and then try to encourage people to forcefully forcefully thwart lawful elections and the people that are the mouthpieces for people like that who advocate and perpetuate lies about lawful democratic elections we should be extremely extremely mindful and extremely on guard about people like that and speaking of donald trump speaking of mr trump let's talk about his cfo alan weisselberg this is now we've been saying this is coming for a long time haven't we right they first subpoenaed documents from the Trump organization a few months ago. We touched on it. There was a, a more junior uh, financial executive that was that testified at the grand jury proceeding. Then this is all in Manhattan, the Manhattan DA. And since the end of Trump's presidency, several people had speculated that the Manhattan DA, who was had long been running an investigation into the Trump organization, that the Manhattan DA may be the ones to bring the most serious charges against the Trump organization, and that has now come to fruition. So Alan Weisselberg is charged with tax-related crimes, right? And essentially what it really revolves around, and what these charges revolve around, is the accusation that Mr. Weisselberg was engaging in compensating both himself and other top-level executives with things like cars, houses, properties, even cash payments. And this isn't just your typical average under-the-table worker getting a couple bucks an hour, you know, for working a deli counter or whatnot or a pizzeria. This is significant compensation. This is significant money that was conveyed to top executives as a condition of employment in the form of heavy sums of cash, tangible properties worth a lot of money, including homes, vehicles, those types of things, all of which were not reported to the IRS or were fraudulently reported in one way or another. Mr. Weisselberg is in a lot of trouble. There's no way around it. He's in a lot of trouble. And it's not looking good for him. And the, the, the question remains, first of all, were some of the people, because you know who's top executives in Trump's circle and in the Trump organization. We know some individuals who were involved in high-level positions in the Trump organization were Trump's children. So... Are some of his children next to be indicted, number one? Is Ivanka on the list to be indicted by the Manhattan DA? Is Donald Trump himself, if he was overseeing this process, if he had knowledge of it, is he on the block to be indicted by the DA? And if Mr. Weisselberg is facing significant prison time or other penalties himself, is he willing to play ball? Is he going to speak about the children? Or is he going to give the DA information on Mr. Trump himself? And is Mr. Trump in deep, deep, deep trouble? Now, the Senate, especially Mr. Mitch McConnell, who spent so much time railing against Trump and rightfully calling out what he did and how he participated in the insurrection. And look at me, right? I'm calling it an insurrection because that's what we labeled it, right? And I guess it is an insurrection. I mean, it is, right? It's an insurrection by definition, but it's also just a riot. It's a bunch of stupid people storming the Capitol. But you see how we label things? It's just interesting. Even I do it, don't I? It's interesting. But with regard to the, the insurrection, the riot, whatever you want to call it, they rightfully called him out, but they failed to actually convict him, even though I thought the House put on such a great impeachment trial. The senators refused to do it, Mitch McConnell being one of the number one people. Just complete punks. No backbone. No backbone to do what's right. They vote it down, then they hide behind some nonsensical excuse, and then rail against the president. But they leave open the possibility that he can run again. And with his ridiculous following, you never know. And the worst thing, 
Like, all this stuff I talk about with the left, I mean, it only got worse, more pointed, and got a bigger following because Trump was president. He was so far right. He was such an authoritarian, xenophobic racist that he sparked such a reaction to that racism on the other side, which is part of the reason we have this just downward spiral between right and left that I'm always railing against. So him even running again with his divisive rhetoric is just terrible for the country. Right now, I I see a slowly, slowly healing. Like, the Olympics are coming up. We healed from COVID. People are are having more honest discussions about, you know, what it's going to take to to be more equitable and and more honest discussions about how certain situations happen and the role of of the criminal justice system and the role of business and yada, yada, yada. And, like, if he comes in, he's just going to throw it into chaos again. He's just too much of an ignorant bigoted person so anyway the senate really missed an opportunity to foreclose the opportunity that he would be able to run again in not voting to impeach which i thought the evidence was there like objectively it was there they should have been a president of the united states should not be inciting an insurrection at the capitol on the day they're certifying the results of a democratic free election i mean period it's not rocket science it's not rocket science But now the Manhattan DA, if they get Trump on charges and if Weisselberg plays ball, then perhaps Donald Trump will have a conviction which will foreclose the opportunity for him to be the president for running it. Or hopefully at least will knock down his political standing enough that he won't try it. But we will see. He's also lost, uh, launched a lawsuit against major tech companies for banning him. That's an interesting thing to watch because I've long said they control the public arena now. They're almost this hybrid, right? They have a monopoly on the public arena. They really need to be broken up, quite frankly. If you want to talk about capitalism succeeding, we have to stop letting these monopolies proliferate. That's one of the biggest problems. We really need to start breaking up monopolies, quite frankly. We really do. But in the interim... He's suing them, and they do control the public space. So it's interesting. I mean, you know, we want him banned because he incites an insurrection, but what about other people that get banned? Or It's just an interesting thing. Why do these social media companies have such a hold on, on our social dialogue, yet are so immune from our protections against free speech? And I, and I know why, because they're technically private entities, but they really, they really should be examined. So it'll be interesting to see how his lawsuits go in general, just as a, an abstract analysis of the issue. Last but not least, and I've been talking about this, and this is, I've kept saying this is one of the main reasons that Biden might do a good job, and I've been saying it over and over and over and over again, that we finally have a bipartisan infrastructure deal, right? And this was 11, I believe 11 Republican senators, maybe 9 or 10 Democratic senators, have come to a deal on infrastructure. It's worth $1.2 trillion. It focuses on traditional infrastructure, bridges, roads, trains. It does a lot of money for electric vehicles and charging stations, although not as much as the Democrats had initially hoped it would. And it is a huge piece of legislation that is bipartisan that, in my opinion, will not only show that we can accomplish things in a bipartisan basis, number one, Number two, that we do have common goals across the aisle. And number three, it just gives us an infusion of money in a place we need it desperately as a nation. I've seen plans that Amtrak has put in place to revamp the Northeast Regional Line and other lines and advance service to other cities, which is great. I've seen, you know, the idea that we can finally get the Gateway Tunnel project done between New York and New Jersey, which, as I've talked about, if one of the current tunnels or bridges were to rupture, we would have a huge economic impact and disadvantage across the country because the conduit between New York and New Jersey that kind of facilitates commerce amongst the Northeast is such an important part. The Northeast is by far the most populated area of the United States with so many high stakes for business and other things. So that would be done. It would just be a huge boon for any infrastructure advocate, and it would be done on a bipartisan basis. Interestingly, now the Problem Solvers Caucus in the House 
consisting of many more Democrats and many more Republicans, has come out and said they support the bipartisan infrastructure deal. What's interesting is you're starting to see the typical protesters, professional protesters, professional crybabies on both sides start coming out against the bipartisan deal, right? First, you had the Democrats saying, well, we're going to pass the infrastructure bill that was bipartisan right alongside the partisan Working Families Plan. I don't know if that was the exact name, but American Families Plan, whatever it was. The the human infrastructure aspect that Bernie Sanders has tried to coin as part of infrastructure, even though we know it's not. Like, it was a valiant attempt to frame it as human infrastructure being part of an infrastructure package. But it's really different agenda items. I'm not saying that they're good or bad agenda items. What I'm saying is it's not infrastructure. And Bernie tried valiantly to make an infrastructure, and it's not. It's two separate things. But the... Democrats were saying, well, we're going to jam through the, the partisan bill that doesn't have the traditional infrastructure. We're going to jam that through in tandem with the bipartisan bill. We're going to pass the bipartisan bill on bipartisan grounds, and then we're going to pass the partisan bill through reconciliation and jam it through. And Biden initially said, well, I'm vetoing the bipartisan bill unless it comes to my desk with the Democrat bill. And then he quickly backtracked because that was ridiculous. I mean, you're sitting there negotiating with Republicans. You come to an agreement, and then you say, well, we're going to pass the agreement next to stuff we didn't agree on. And unless I get both, I'm vetoing the agreement. That's not how you negotiate. They didn't say, I'm going to vote for this so you can turn around and jam the other thing through. I mean, I'm negotiating so that you don't jam that through, right? I mean, isn't that common sense? So he quickly backtracked on that. And when he backpedaled, the Republican senators once again said, okay, we can support this. The moderate senators, they need 60 total senators, which means they need 10 Republicans at least to beat the filibuster. They need 10. They, I think they have 10 or 11. But then Nancy Pelosi said, well, I'm not going to even allow a vote on the bipartisan deal. I'm not allowing a vote on the bipartisan deal unless it's here with the other part of the bill, the partisan bill. And then Bernie Sanders is saying, I'm not going to vote for the bipartisan bill unless my bill is next to it. Yada, yada, yada. I get that Democrats and liberals want to get everything they've ever dreamed of accomplished in the first legislative session of the president's first term. Okay, I understand it. But they don't have the votes to do it with the filibuster. Is the filibuster a good thing or a bad thing? I don't know. I'm not going to go deep down that road. I mean, the Voting Rights Act, the voting rights legislation that the Republicans defeated is a good argument to get rid of the filibuster. They are trying to basically manipulate elections through strict and discriminatory voting laws across the country, and Republicans refuse to act on it. That's a good argument to get rid of the filibuster, right? But when it comes to infrastructure and a bipartisan deal, I don't know that we necessarily need to shove every other agenda item into an infrastructure bill and shove it through in reconciliation, adding trillions of dollars to the national debt, which will undoubtedly increase the tax burden of us and all of our children, which, by the way, the tax burden on the middle class in this country is already too high, especially in places like New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut. It's too high. Adding trillions of dollars to the debt is a bad monetary idea without further inspection and reflection. The bipartisan infrastructure deal is within reason and it's something we desperately need as a generational investment. We should take pause in some of the other things and debate them and try to come to agreements on certain elements of them and pass them properly instead of trying to jam them through. And progressives like Bernie Sanders, when he says he won't vote for it, show that he's more of a protester than a legislator, and he's always been that way. He can stand on the side and point out what's wrong, and he can rail against it, but he has trouble actually getting things done. And that was Biden's main argument against them in the primary. Now, it remains to be seen if Bernie's really going to vote against the bipartisan deal. That would be just an absolute joke. I mean, you don't you don't vote against things that you want simply because there's some unrelated thing that you didn't get to, right? 
if I want football tickets and I say I also want basketball tickets and they say, all right, we agree to give you the football tickets, but the basketball thing is a separate issue. I don't say, well, unless I get my basketball tickets, I'm walking away from the football tickets. No, I take the damn tickets and then I move on to phase two, which is basketball. I don't understand this all or nothing. We want everything we've ever wanted in this infrastructure bill. Otherwise, we're not voting for infrastructure at all. We're going to do nothing. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And I'm hoping that with the problem solvers in the House coming to the table, which is a bunch of Republicans, that Pelosi can afford to lose some of the more radical progressives and still get this bipartisan deal through. Because we desperately need it. And bipartisan is a good thing. It's good for Biden's momentum. It's good for the country's momentum. It's good for finally breaking this ridiculous ideological impasse in Congress. We need it. And then hilariously on the other side, hilariously on the other side, you have this this clown, Stephen Moore, former Trump aide, this clown, clown, because part of the bipartisan infrastructure deal, part of the way that they agreed that Republicans and Democrats agreed that they could pay for this was by funding the IRS at a higher level so that the IRS could go after tax cheats and go after people who are manipulating the tax code. <clears throat> Donald Trump, Trump Organization. Go after corporations and people like that who are manipulating the system and skirting their taxes in order to generate more revenue to pay for this stuff. And this guy, Stephen Moore, comes out and says that it's laughable that Republicans would ever support funding the IRS more and that there's going to be a lot of opposition to this. And several conservative groups, including Unleash Prosperity, Freedom Works, Conservative Action Group, have all come out and written a letter to Mitch McConnell saying that funding the IRS should be off the table. You know, these are the people that claim they're all about law and order. They're all about doing what's right. They're all about enforcing the law. Rules are rules, these people say. Especially when you're talking about Shikari Richardson. Rules are rules. But when they say, okay, we're going to fund the agency that enforces the rules, they're like, how dare you enforce the rules? You can't enforce the rules. This is going to be a lot of opposition to enforcing the rules. It just shows their true colors on the right, doesn't it? They say they're pro-prosperity. They say they're pro-growth. They say they're pro-everybody having an equal share. No, they're not. They're pro-cheating and manipulating and lying and equivocating so long as it's the already rich and the already wealthy and the already powerful that are getting away with it. Everybody else screw them, according to these people. Just like we can't finance infrastructure, which everybody needs. Businesses need it. People need it. Everybody needs it without raising fair taxes a few percentage points on corporations who have shown they're not using the tax cuts for anything to benefit anybody but themselves. We can't raise that a little bit. These Republicans are just unreasonable with things like that. Unreasonable. And it's just, again, it just makes me want to pull my hair out. Thank God for the Problem Solvers Caucus. It needs to be bigger. They need more centrists because these leftist professional protesters and these right-wing liars who are destroying the country, have been destroying it since the 80s with their horrible trickle-down economics voodoo myth, are destroying us from within. They're the culprits. And this bipartisan infrastructure deal, which, by the way, tons of business groups and civic groups have already come out in support of the infrastructure deal. These groups want to tear it down for their own benefit because they're in a Washington bubble where all that matters is their agenda, their ideology, and their next re-election campaign. Instead of what matters to the American people. And so it's going to be interesting to see if these ridiculous right-wing lying equivocators or these leftist protesters are able to take down a bill that we desperately need and that is finally bipartisan. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I really, really hope we get it done. I hope when I'm back on the air with you guys, we are talking about the projects that are being financed. I truly do. I also hope we're talking about all the gold medals the United States won. I hope everybody is living a nice, beautiful life, enjoying the cookouts and the barbecues and maskless day-to-day activities. And that everybody is happy to breathe some fresh air, finally free of the ridiculous, oppressive pandemic. And we could take some oppressive heat as long as we can be free from the pandemic that has constrained us for a year and a half. 
taking us, taking a year and a half of our lives away from us. Anyway, guys, that's basically what I have for you tonight. Thank you so much for joining me once again. As I said, Logic and Larry's not going anywhere. And I know I get a little passionate sometimes, and sometimes you love what I say if I'm criticizing one side, and then you hate what I say the next when I'm criticizing your side. But you can always count on me to just express my true, honest opinion and to be real. And hopefully you continue to value that and you continue to value the Logic and Larry podcast. If there's any kind of crazy news or if I feel the need to get back on the mic this summer, I very may will. Until then, I'm working on these projects and I'm trying my best to get these other creative endeavors done. I'm trying my best to stay stable uh, professionally and can keep my trajectory going so that I can contribute in positive ways to society the best that I can. And for that reason, I'm going to take a hiatus for it looks like this summer. And I'll be back after Labor Day. And of course, I'll let you guys know if any other episode is coming out. But I look very much forward to talking to all of you on the phones again. I look forward to spin-off podcasts. I look forward to having more guests on. All the amazing and cool people that are out there in the world that love to come on and discuss things and that have something to contribute to the dialogue. I look forward to all of those days very soon to be upon us. Until then, enjoy your summer. Enjoy your families, your friends. Enjoy life and being alive. And I'll be back very, very soon. Have a good night.